Today's reading comes from the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 1. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, Happy New Year, church. Oh, man. It is 2019. Holy cow. I'm old enough, just like things that old people say, I'm old enough to remember uh, like the Y2K hysteria when like the world's hair was on fire and we were like, I don't know how we're going to make it because computers apparently have lost the ability to like turn the page on the calendar or something like I don't remember but here we are anybody glad to be out of 2018 maybe some of you are like Whew, glad that was done hey all right well welcome you made it here we are I to be honest I love new years I love new beginnings I, I'm sort of a sucker for this um, even as a kid like even as a kid, like, a, like I liked the start of the new school year, I, just the, you know, sort of a new folder, a new trapper keeper. Anybody out there feeling me on the trapper keepers? Yeah, like a, like just sort of with, with clean notebook paper with no, I hadn't, you know, mucked it up or anything. Some, you know, some new, new backpack, new lunchbox. Like I just, I, I loved it. Like even in college, um, like at the start of new semesters even, like it got, you know, I was like, oh, I don't have to wait a whole school year. I can just, each semester there's a, a new routine. How am I going to get from point A to point B? Like a, a new syllabus, it was fresh. It was just, I, I love that. And then, you know, with the new year, it's like the ultimate of new beginnings and annual starts. You get to like even get a physical like new calendar. I mean, I know it's a digital age. You don't, all, you just sort of swipe or I don't know how you do it. But, um, and uh, the thing is, like, I remember <laughs> I used to have like a day planner and I would get these inserts and you get a new one every year and I would put them in. And what I would do, I would write, I would get different pens. Uh, I was, I was the, uh, I was the pilot uh, V5, extra fine point. Anybody like the pens, pen people out there? Perfect. Great. All three of us. The, um. <laughs> And that was like my weapon of choice. And I would get different colors to, so I could write down the different types of events that I would go to, you know, as a 17-year-old because, you know, I had a full calendar, not really. Uh, and so it, it, there was just a newness and a freshness and a green, just like a greenness to it all that I really appreciate. And each sort of new start, whether it be to the school year or semester or even the calendar year, it just it's like it held for me like this sense of possibility. And even now, looking ahead, like at 2019, there's, there's inspiration in me for that. And there's something about the new year that affords us a chance to, to actually make a new start, to, to look at the year ahead and with the calendar ahead, just before we like clutter it up and jam it up with events or schedules or whatever else we might put on it. We look at the calendars and their clean slatedness that are presented to us and the calendars that can actually become like metaphors for our lives. 
We can, the mess ups and the disappointments from the previous year, the commitments that we didn't keep or the resolutions that we abandoned, they haven't yet made it into the calendar yet. So the new year, like it stares at us from this unblemished future and it says, here's a new start for you. The problem is that, that many of us, we, we actually have a history with New Year's and new beginnings, new resolutions. We've said yes in the past to uh, New Year's invitations and hopes and plans and possibilities. And we've like, yeah, gusto, absolutely. And then somehow we have shipwrecked our resolutions with remarkable speed. Um, some polls show that 80% of New Year's resolutions, they're broken by the second week of February. I spent more time than I should have on internet memes that talks about the quick abandonment of resolutions. Um, and probably many of us, we have had some experience with making goals and starting and then starting over and experiencing the disappointment of that cycle that we can get into. And those experiences, they can, they can leave us really just bittered and, and disinclined to engage in any attempts at new beginnings or a fresh start. And I got to tell you, I, I really, I understand this impulse. As one who loves new beginnings, I'm also one who understands uh, just not getting it not getting it right. I've been seeing a lot of images uh, on social media and uh, uh, posts and other things where people are listing all of the books that they read uh, over the course of 2018 and then they're asking like for recommendations of 2019 and I see their lists and I'm like oh my god what am I doing you know like I don't know and so I have actually a bit of a different list to help you understand where I'm coming from in this. I, I read some books in 2018 um, but here's what I got for you. I have a, a sample of the books that I started in 2018 but did not finish. This is just a, like I walk around the house. I was like, oh yeah, that one, that one, that one. I just pulled them together. I mean, I've got like books on God's justice because you know that's a there's a passion that we have. I've got some other things about working in cities and ministry in cities. I've got two poetry books that I figured I couldn't make it through somehow. They're like 30 pages long. Started, didn't finish that one. I've even got a book called Managing Yourself. Probably should have started with that one. Might have been able to make it uh, through all of them. I've got books about boxing in Cuba. I've got books about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I've got books on how to be a better public speaker that I didn't finish. Like, you know, it, there's this list. So I understand the disinclination of some to say, I, I, I just don't know if I'm going to start because there's vulnerability in that. To put myself out there and to say, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do that. I, I, I'll begin again. I, you know, it's It's tough especially having been let down or having let yourself down so many times before. But here's the thing that I want to say. First Sunday in uh, 2019, the thing that I want to say to you, uh, two things that I know about God. First is that he is a God of new beginnings, and second, that he is a God of second chances. He's a God of new beginnings. He's a God of second chances. Over and over, the Bible is a story about God's patience with humanity and his willingness, not just his willingness, his actual delight in giving his children another chance at life with him and a fresh start. Adam and Eve in the garden, things don't go well. Consequences, yes, but an opportunity to start again, absolutely. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all second, third, and fourth chances. He gives new beginnings. In Jacob's case, the new start was so profound, he even gave him a new name halfway through his life. 
Stories of Noah and Joseph and the Exodus, they're all long stories of a God who not only rescues and restores, but a God who gives new beginnings and gives second chances. Goodness, into the New Testament, you have Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, Peter, Mary, the woman at the well, Paul, all people who found in Jesus the one who gives a new life and a fresh start. All throughout the story of God are those who cry out as the writer of Lamentations proclaims, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it's in that spirit and with that hope that we begin this new year and our first sermon series of the year begin again. Begin again. Becoming who God intended. The belief that's embedded in this series and even in the title is the belief that God has a person that he wants you to become this year. That he has things that he wants to develop within you, that he has things he wants to teach you, things he wants to experience with you, things to shape in you. There's a person that he is both affirming, yes, and a person that he is calling you to become. And embedded therein is an invitation to become that person. To set your sights on them. Even if you don't know all the details, and who knows all the details, to trust God with your life and with your becoming. At different times in, in pastoral counseling, Lisa, my wife Lisa and I, we often do it together, and we're invited into spaces um, with people of, of discernment often. And sometimes it's discernment either vocationally or relationally. And one of the questions that we ask, and, and I've shared it with, with you all before, is who is the future you that God is beckoning you towards? What are the qualities of that person? What's the character of that person? And what story is being told with your future you's life? What steps do you sense God calling you to take in order to live faithfully into that life? And then what's your first next step? You see, the, the aim of the question that we ask, and we ask it of ourselves mostly, is to help the person look beyond the immediate question of decision and to look a bit further toward the horizon. Simultaneously, the question uh, helps you not just look at the options in front of you. Is it A or is it B? Is it yes or is it no? But rather, the, the options that are within you, the ones that uh, God is crafting you, uh, crafting in you, to become who Christ longs for you to become. And it acknowledges that God is at work and is, and is active in you and around you. That he's the one that's ordering your steps. He's extending an opportunity and an invitation to join him in crafting a life with him that is meaningful and life-giving and God-honoring and impactful for his kingdom and in the world. And this invitation is, is what we want to present in the series. And to begin this process of becoming who God intends for you to be this year. And so for many of us, the invitation is to begin again. For some of us, maybe for the first time. However, what, what I don't want to do in this series, what we don't want to do in this series is to set you up for failure again. To just continue to run down the cycle of setting goals and hopes and dreams and then abandoning them. We don't want a series that's long on inspiration and then short on instruction. And so over the course of this month, what we want to do is is provide a helpful plan that we believe will help you take steps in becoming who God intends for you to be this year. This plan, um, we've uh, used it at different times in our life as a church before, is called the Spire Plan. Justin Fung, pastor of spiritual formation and liturgy, developed this a few years ago. And so for many of you, this actually isn't new. 
I'll share a bit more about the details of it shortly, and we'll go deep into the weeds in the coming weeks. Uh, but I just want to say that we actually won't drift into being who God wants us to be. As a people, we don't drift into spiritual health or whole life flourishing any more than I might drift into a gym or I might drift into finishing these books this year. It just doesn't happen. It requires effort and planning. Inspire, the Spire plan affords us that. But also, it's not all on us. Effort is required, but we don't manage our way into becoming who God intends for us to be either. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't even begin with us, which is what I want to focus on this morning before we go any further. To become who God wants us to be and to become who we hope to be, it requires God to move in us, to, for, for God to by His Spirit to move in our hearts. It requires that the Spirit of God dislodge older and sinister ways of being so that better and more authentic ways can take root. This is so much of what is at the heart of the passage that we read. The book of Ephesians is Paul's pleading with a church that he founded and a people that he loves, pleading with them to remain firm in their faith and centered in Christ's love and to continue to live in light of those things. Paul is writing to the Christians of the ancient city of Ephesus, which is in Greece. Paul is in prison in Rome, and while he's there, he sends several letters to churches that he's either uh, helped start or that he's founded himself. And the letter to Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, is one of these letters. After greeting uh, the church and making a series of rich theological statements about God's uh, centrality and the sovereignty of Christ and Christ's ruling work, Paul comes to this section in chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul begins uh, this letter Letting the Ephesians know that he's praying for them. I pray out of his glorious riches. He's lifting them up to God in prayer. He's uh, not just that uh, they're like on his mind. It's not just that he was thinking some nice thoughts about them. It's not just like he's like, oh, there's these people in Ephesus. It's not he's, just, he's not just remembering them. He's not just realizing, oh, Ephesus, that's a place. I should keep moving. No, he's actually saying these people, he's treasuring them in his heart, and he's lifting them up to the Lord. He's letting them know that he is carrying them to God, that he is lifting them up to the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the beginning and the end, the saving one, the rescuing one, the one who is the righteous judge, the one who knows all and sees all, the one who is light and life and love. He's saying, I'm lifting you up to that one. I'm praying for you. And I'm asking God to do something for you and on your behalf. Listen, a side note that's not a side note. If you're going to become who God intends for you to be, you're going to need to be a person of prayer and you're going to need to have people praying for you. This church wasn't birthed out of good thoughts or effective strategies. Rather, it was birthed out of the prayers of saints, lifting up a people and a place and asking God to satisfy the ache in their hearts for a new church in D.C. I didn't arrive in this place out of careful planning or even by accident, but by prayer. My prayers and a whole lot of other people praying, and you didn't end up here either on your own. Take advantage of the prayer team. 
Take advantage of the connection. You write your prayers on the connection card. The staff prays over those every week. Let, let your small group know, this is how you can pray for me. I'm, I, you could walk in there first week. Hey, listen, I know we've got an agenda. I don't know any of you. I just need for you to know I need some prayer. Here's what's going on. And let those people pray over you. If we're going to become who God wants us to be, it's going to mean that we're a people of prayer and that we are prayed for. And Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And what is he asking for? He's asking for God to strengthen them. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you. What do they need strength for? They need it for faith. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. His prayer for them is that they might be strong in faith. To be strong in their sense of Christ's indwelling in their lives. Strong in their knowing that Christ's life is in their life. He's praying that they may be strong in this way. He says it again, I'm praying for you. It's a second prayer towards the end of verse 17. It says, and I pray that you, again, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Again, he's praying for strength together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's praying again that the church in Ephesus, that they would have strength and that they would have power. Look, if you're going to become who God intends for you to become, if it will take some effort, it will take some strength, it will take power, you will not drift, float, meander, or traipse into the future that God has for you. It will take work. However, what Paul is saying is that he's wanting the church to know that they aren't going to have to their own power to get this done. It's not going to be their own strength, their own might, their own effort, their own leverage, but rather his prayer is saying, God, help them. They don't have the strength. Will you empower them? Will your strength embody them? Christ, it, it's Christ in you is the hope of glory as he would write to the church in Philippi. Why does Paul want God to strengthen the church? To what end? For what purpose is this God-given strength for? And this is where he comes to, so that they might be anchored in God's great love for them. This is what he wants them to be strong in. Remembering that God loves you. Verse 17 again, being rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Again, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In verse 16 and 17, he begins it. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, he continues it in 18, to grasp how high and long and wide and high and deep and whatever other verbs I've missed is the love of Christ. To be anchored in Christ's love, a love that has height and depth and length that is unimaginable. Paul has two prayers, but he has one aim. Be strengthened in the knowledge that God loves you. If you're going to become who God wants you to become this year, effort, yes, but it comes from a place of realizing that you are loved by the Almighty. Paul articulates two prayers. Both are prayers for strength, strength and power, but the aim is singular. That the Christians in Ephesus would know that they are deeply and dearly loved by God. A love that is most represented in Christ. 
there's a prayer resource that I've begun um, to use called the Common Rule. It's a collection of um, prayers and prayerful rhythms for the morning and the evening. And there's a prayer that I've begun to pray over my children with, with, <laughs> with amazing success and then also tragic failures. But um, that's another story for another time. I've been praying this for the last few days for them. I don't want to read this to you. This is a, it's a back and forth. It's a call and response between a parent and a child. This is what I've been praying. The parent, do you see my eyes? The child says, yes. Can you see that I see your eyes? The child says, yes, most of the time. Do you know that I love you? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter the good things you do? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter the bad things that you do? Yes. Who else loves you like that? God does. Even more than me? Yes. Rest in that love. Amen. Good night. <coughs> more than anything, Paul is, wants the church in Ephesus to rest in the knowledge of God's love for them. He wants them to be strong in the faith of that truth. He wants them to be rooted and established in that love. And he wants them to rest in that love. Church, if you, if we are going to become who God intends for us to be, we cannot begin with ourselves. We must begin with Christ's great love for us. Our becoming emerges out of and is sustained by God's love towards us and in us and for us. And any effort we make to begin again must have its starting place here and its sustaining place here in Christ's great love for us, rooted and established, unshaken and unmoved. And from there, from that place, we grow and we become. However, Paul doesn't just want the church to dwell there in Christ's love with no movement or action. He anticipates that there will be motivation and movement. And after saying that the church is to be anchored and secured and fastened to Christ, he tells them, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, he's in prison in Rome, remember, then I urge you to live. I urge you to live from that place of love. I urge you to live and, do, and live in this way. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. The calling of God's love that wooed you into relationship with you. That says to you, you can begin again. I'm a God of new beginnings. Live a life worthy of that calling that you've received. He impresses on them the obligation to live a life worthy of the expansive love that we've now received. Live in light of it. We're not living in order to be loved. We're not living... Uh, so that we can earn something, we are living in response to the love that Christ has shown us. We do not begin again in hopes that God might love us more this year. We begin again because he has loved us extravagantly. And this word is one that Paul would repeat. He would actually repeat this word to many of the churches that he helped start. He repeats it to the church in Philippi. He says it to the church in Colossae. In the book of Colossians, in verse 1, he says this, verse 9, chapter 1, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. 
He would repeat it again in Philippians chapter 1. Whatever happens, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because you've been extravagantly loved, live, live well. Yes, we're, we are going to grow into the people that God intends us to be. And it is a work that is initiated by God, that is sustained by him, and that grows out of his love for us. And yet there will be a role that we play as well. Be a responsibility that rests on us because of this love. In the weeks ahead, we want to walk through the Spire's plan. A plan, a strategy that will help many of us in our efforts to live in, in a manner worthy of the calling that's on our lives. A plan that will help us take steps towards becoming who we sense God leading us to become. Spire is, is just a series of letters that helps us remember the different aspects of our lives spiritual physical intellectual relational emotional and serving we'll provide you with a guide to walk you through this next week and the weeks ahead but the work will be to explore each area and to consider what might be the first next step in that area that you want to surrender in or to grow in We'll spend a couple of weeks going through this, but for today, before we begin today, what we want to begin with is remembering God's love for you and to dwell in that and to remember that, that any new beginning, that any second chance, that it starts from the foundation of God's love that is deep and wide and high. So church, this year, this first Sunday of 2019, I want to pray a version of the prayer that I pray over my children. Church, do you see my eyes? Do you know that you are loved? Do you know that you're loved no matter the good things you do? Do you know that you're loved no matter the bad things you do? Do you know that I love you? you know who else loves you like that? Church, rest in that love. There's a lot of things that you'll do in 2019. But I pray above them all that you rest and the truth that God loves you deeply and dearly. Let me pray for you. Lord, of our, of our beginnings and ends. We don't know what's up ahead for, for us in this year. It's filled with so much possibility, so much anticipation, anxiety at times, wonderings, curiosities, questions, hopes, dreams. God, I pray that um, 
that from this vantage point, this first Sunday, this Epiphany Sunday of 2019, God, that, that we stand here not just looking forward at what's up ahead, but looking up, remembering that you are a Father that loves us, that you are God who watches over us, who delights in us. God, I pray that as we take steps into this year, that we would take them knowing that we are children who are dearly and deeply loved by you. And that wherever else this, this year takes us, whatever roads up ahead, whatever challenges and disappointments, whatever accomplishments and accolades we secure this year, that we secure them knowing that we are your children. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.